Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And today is January 28th. I don't know, it just seems like time is slipping by, it's going by so fast. Just trying to keep an eye you know, keep an eye on what's happening out here and you know, life goes on and you know, what's been so interesting for me is is a bunch of stuff going on in the background for me. And um, you know, it's it's been okay. You know, trying to pull everything together, get it all situated, but no real complaints. Well, yes, um, but it's not going to do any good. So anyway, I hope that you all are doing fine. I hope things are going well. You know, I'm just sitting back and just looking and watching and laughing at some things, um, especially when I see people running plays out of my playbook. But um, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to leave it alone. But I still find it really, really interesting. So again, this is Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And for those of you that have been around for a while that are familiar with me and familiar with the show, you know I touch on a lot of different topics. And so, you know, I've talked about Me Too somewhat on the show a few times. And the only reason why I didn't do a show about it last year was, you know, part of me was on sabbatical. It was so much happening in my world. And also, you know, I wanted to give other people a chance to, you know, talk about this. And, you know, I did a lot of reading and, you know, putting information out there. But, you know, I think I want to talk about it now and try to look at it from a number of different perspectives. And when I say that, I'm not saying that um, – you know, I'm going to give men the floor because that's not going to happen. You know, but I'm looking at it from, you know, from my angle, and I'm looking at the black church, and I'm looking at the black community, and I'm like, me too, right? And so when I was coming up with this show, you know, at first, after the me too, you know, I put three dots there and ellipse, but I thought about putting a question mark there. Because, you know, one of the things that I find quite interesting and curious is the silence in the black church and the black community regarding Me Too. You have some people out here speaking up, so I want to give credit when it's due, you know, and, and that's great. Speak up, tell your truth. You know, however, it's, you know, kind of silent over there. And I find that interesting. You know, what's interesting is some of the responses I've seen in the secular community across the board, black, white, red, yellow, purple, blue. And you have a few people out here that are saying, yeah, me too. And then you have some out here that are saying, yeah, me too, while they try to figure out how to capitalize off of it. And then you have some people over here that are just totally irritated by it and and you know i'm just watching just different reactions by different people and also i'm looking at the different genders and you know a number of you know things happening there and 
you know, again, these these different communities, these subcultures, you know, they again they are a mirror image of mainstream America, mainstream society. They're just smaller groups. But when you start looking up the demographics of these groups and you see how a lot of this falls, you'll, you, it'll begin to make sense to you why it's mirroring the reaction of people from mainstream society. And, again, as I stated last week, you know, white supremacists are not always white. And because we've been so indoctrinated and ingrained with the white supremacy, you know, it's interesting on how some of the reactions that I see from people of color, especially black people, are the same as many of these white, cisgendered, hetero, educated, wealthy men, white men. And so, you know, what I don't understand is how so many of us try to identify with the people, the very people that are oppressing us. And so it's just interesting, you know, and I've stated on the show before how I felt that a lot of people attending these churches, especially these word of faith, name it, claim it, prosperity gospel churches, on how they try to identify with wealthy people because they have been promised that they're next in line for their miracle, that they're a holy millionaire or a holy billionaire in the making, and so you should have the mindset and you should walk and stand and you know, hold yourself as a king or queen because, you know, that's where we came from, right? And, and and you know, just all of these things that they're taught. So when they're being taught to walk and talk and act and think and, and spend like they are royalty or spend mm-hmm. like they are that holy millionaire and holy billionaire, they're trying to identify with groups of people or sets of people that they can't, necessarily identify with, and that's what makes it kind of difficult to have a lot of different conversations, because when you start breaking this down and bringing it to their attention, then you got to go through, oh, crabs in a barrel, Uncle Tom, Uncle Ruckus, this, that, oh, they're just jealous, and well, the celebrities, these actors and actresses and athletes can have all this money. Why can't the pastor? Why can't I? See, and the thing is, is that no one is saying that you can't have the money. Hell, you know, you never know. You may win the lottery. Hell, go take your tickets in. You may have already won. You just don't know. But it's not so much about people not wanting you to have the money. I mean, it's more so about the attitude, the sense of entitlement, um, you know, it's it's just really interesting because it gets rather complicated. And this is one of the reasons why when you hear me talk about how libertarianism has made its way into the church and the pulpit, you know, one day I'm going to really have to sit down and break that down for you guys because I don't think you recognize it. And some of the ones you may not recognize it because you don't understand it. And so it's just it's really interesting, you know, because I sit back and I watch these things. And sometimes I'm totally amazed, and other times it makes me want to beat my head against the wall. It's like, you know, we've gone over that. 
you know, and when I say we've gone over that, I'm not talking about me in this show. I'm talking about history because history repeats itself. Like I said, it's just the players change. The names change, and then in some cases the players are the same because, you know what, they're going to fight you tooth and nail to be in charge of the black community or the brown community until the day they die. You know, got two, got both feet on banana pills, getting ready to slip into that coffin, but they still want to be considered, you know, the leadership, the voice of, you know, the face of these communities. And so it's just really interesting. You know, I have a lot of thoughts about these things, but um, eh, let's talk about a little something else for a minute, and then we'll, you know, start into today's topic. But I'll go ahead and tell you guys the title of today's show is Dear Black Community. I'm sorry, let's start over again. Dear Black Church, Black Community, hashtag me too. And I'll go ahead and read it. Please join us as we discuss the Me Too movement and how it is overlooking voices and accounts in the black community. More people are coming forward with their stories, yet the stories in black and brown communities are discounted because we aren't necessarily talking about rich, famous public figures. So many stories are out there, and it's a desperately needed conversation. And that's true. And so, you know, I know some of you are like, what do you mean, you know, rich, famous public figures? Oh, no, I mean, I know about R. Kelly. We know about CeeLo. We know about a number of people, um, even the young man um, on The Blackest Show. Anthony, if you go back and you look at some histories, there was, you know, a woman who charged him with rape. So there are a lot of stories out there. And I'm not discounting those by rich, famous, you know, black and brown public figures. However, the majority of us, we're talking about situations that happen with, you know, a couple of guys that live on the block, around the corner, across the street from the school, at the church. Hells, peeps, you know, some of the folks that worked at the school. You know, just a number of different scenarios, a number of different stories that are out there. And, I mean, you know, even in the white community, you know, you have sexual predators everywhere. And there are a lot of stories that need to be told. But, again, you you know, it's like people who are middle, middle, lower class, you know, working class, you know, black and brown folks and even white folks, you know, their narratives get lost. Their stories get lost and it's not necessarily reported on. And if it is reported on, it's in in such a small scale. However, it goes back to what I say about us perpetuating white supremacy, perpetuating misogyny and sexism. You know, we have been trained to discount each other and to disregard the pain of others, especially if it doesn't fit into your particular worldview, and and, and especially if it conflicts with your religion or the values and ethics that you believe that mom and them instilled in you growing up, 
And for some of you, like, yeah, that, you know, that may have happened and all of that, but we're not supposed to talk about it, you know, just sweep it under the rug or, or, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house, you know, things like that. You know, they're not telling the stories of how some of these people were threatened, how some of them were given a couple of hundred bucks from, you know, the pastor or the minister or, you know, the politician or the teacher or whomever that may have harmed you or your children or the grandchildren. I mean, it's a number of different scenarios, but, you know, they fork over a few dollars hoping that that will shut you up. And, you know, being given a couple of hundred dollars, a couple of thousand dollars, that doesn't take that pain and harm away. And so, you know, what's interesting is I know of different scenarios where you would, you know, in the black church specifically, where you had adults harming children and other adults and basically being threatened and and being shamed. And, you know, in some cases there were settlement payments. You know, and, and NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, were signed. And so I'm saying that to say that our community isn't exempt from Me Too. Never has been, never will be. And until we confront these stories and, and have this dialogue, this harm and this pain and this dysfunction will continue to perpetuate itself. It will continue to pass its way down throughout the generations. And, you know, we need healing. So anyway, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about before I went into this subject. Specifically, you know, uh, yesterday, I took some time out because I wanted to see the Tony Braxton Lifetime movie. Now, I'm one of those people, I don't watch the Lifetime channel very often, and the reason for that is usually after I watch two or three of those movies or, you know, shows, I'm usually good and pissed off by then. And so, <laughs> you know, and the thing is that these are true stories. And, you know, one of the reasons why I get so angry and pissed off is because, you know, the people that have been harmed, the victims, in many cases they are re-victimized. They are shunned and ostracized for telling their story, for coming out and telling the truth about, you know, what's been going on. And in Tony's case, you know, with the contract that she had with LaFace Records, I'm not sure if you all remember this, but TLC had to declare bankruptcy. And if you go back even further than that, go back and look up Tina Marie when she sued Motown Records. You know, and so black people, you know, there are some stories to tell. So anyway, I was talking about Toni Braxton. Let me get back on Toni. And watching her movie and relating to some of the things, some of the issues that she faced, one thing that I did not realize was the amount of influence that her family had over her, especially her mother. And one scene in that movie where the mom, you know, was going to have some words with Tony because Tony didn't want to necessarily do a reality show with her sisters. And so at first her mom was fixing her lips, right, to tell Tony off 
until Tony, you know, basically told her, I've been doing everything for my sisters. You know, I've invited them to Paris, you know, put them in videos, took them on tour, you know, giving them money, all of these things. And it was at that point the mother kind of backed down and realized that she was putting a lot of pressure on Tony regarding the sisters. And you see this in a lot of families, whereas you may have that one or two responsible sibling having to support and bear the rest of the family and it's expected of them. And it gets, it's, it's very, it's very difficult, you know, um, it's, it's a very difficult situation to be in. You know, I'm pretty sure, you know, quite a few of you can identify with that, right? And so I'm more than positive that her mom did not come to that particular epiphany instantaneously as it was shown in the movie. But she probably really had to sit back and think about these things. And when you're the child that's in that position, and you feel as though you're responsible for everything and everyone. This is why you have, you know, some of us that just run off into the first, the minute we get a chance to get away, it's like deuces out, talk to you in 10 years, right? You know, and um, a lot of baggage that goes with that. So anyway, you know, it was, it was actually a pretty decent movie, you know, um, yeah, it was a pretty decent movie, and I wish Tony all the best. You know, the main reason why I wanted to watch her movie was because, for those of you out there who aren't aware, Tony Braxton has lupus, and I have lupus. So I was watching the movie to kind of see how they would uh, show that particular um, you know, that particular issue that she had to deal with, with the lupus, how she, well, the symptoms before she was diagnosed and then the acceptance of the diagnosis and after the acceptance of the diagnosis, you know, going public and telling people why there were some major changes in her life, right? And so... All of that was extremely important because I wanted to see how it played out in her life because I know how it played out in mine. And when I was watching her, when, you know, extremely tired, fatigued, you're tired and you don't understand, you know, you sleep all night, you get a good night's rest, and you wake up, and the first thing on your mind, you're dreaming about going back to bed, you know, wanting the day to hurry up so you can go back to sleep because you're just that tired. And all of that is true, you know, when she passed out on stage, um, all of that, that happens. You know, I've talked about how I would have, you know, little white women stopping me in the airport asking me if I was having a heart attack because I was displaying all of the symptoms. And with Toni Braxton, her lupus was attacking her heart. 
And it still is. Don't think that, you know, that's not something, you know, there's no cure for lupus. And, you know, I had to have heart surgery in 2015. And it started manifesting even before 2014. But I remember going to the emergency room in the summer of 2014 and telling them, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they were like, no, la, la, la. You know, they had me do the raise your arms, taking the blood pressure on both arms and all of that. And, you know, they basically discounted it. So time went on, and I continued to have different um, symptoms and issues, and basically, you know, they were being even further exacerbated. Because, you know, I started gaining just all this weight, and I'm fighting with the doctors, and they're like, you know, you have to lose the weight. And I was like, no shit, Sherlock. And I was like, I said, and I was telling them, I'm like, I barely eat. I barely had enough strength to even, not even cook things, but, you know, I would buy some of those, you know, foods that aren't good for you that you toss in the oven, 45 minutes later, you take it out, right? And I said, I barely can even do that. And so once we discovered what was going on with my heart, um, with the extra heartbeats and all of the extra um, electrical activity, you know, basically those are called PVCs. And the PVC activity in my heart was greatly increased. Your PVC levels basically should be 9% or less. Mine were at 21%, 22%. And the doctor that I had gone to see before we determined what that was, it was at the same hospital that told me I wasn't having a heart attack. And, you know, he was like, oh, well, it's normal for people to have extra heartbeats. Oh, don't worry about it, you know. We know your family history. Yeah, the technicians said A, B, and C, but I don't really believe that. Go home, live your life, be free. And I refused to leave his office because I knew something was wrong. You know, you gotta, you have to get to a point where you're your own advocate. Find someone that you can trust that can be your advocate, that can go with you and sit with you and take notes and ask questions. Because one of the things with lupus is sometimes your memory gets a little foggy, right? And and when I say that, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, you get in front of the doctor and you forget about the fact that, you know, three days out of the last week, you were crawling to the bathroom because everything was hurting. You know, standing on your feet hurt. You know, when you would stand up, it felt like every bone in your body was just cracking. It's just, it's a mess. And so, you know, I'm just saying all of that to say this. Be your own advocate. And, you know, with Tony saying how what she went through and how she went and spoke to the Lupus Foundation and told them what was happening with her, that was very brave. And it's understandable why she thought that her career was over because of the lupus, right? And basically, you know, she found that to be not true. 
And so basically for those of you that are suffering with a number of issues, whether it's an autoimmune disease or anything else, especially if you're dealing with a chronic illness like lupus and some other ones, especially ones that do not have a cure, you know, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Life does go on after the diagnosis. You know, and and I'm not happy about the amount of medication I have to take every day, but I also understand that's what's keeping me alive. And it's just interesting when I talk to my doctors, they know I don't even know where my pain levels are. You know, the conversation that I had with the doctor last week, um, he was asking me about some of the pain management pills he gave me. And I was like, they don't work. And he was asking me why. And I said, the only thing these pills, these particular pills do is make me sleepy. So I'm sleeping through the pain, but I'm also sleeping my life away. So we got to find another solution to this. You know, and so it was interesting because it was something going on with me. And so the doctor and the nurse were in the room, and they were dealing with the issue. And I'm just sitting there talking to the nurse, la, 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 because she came in there, you know, somewhat to distract me, but also, you know, to help the doctor with, you know, um, what was happening there. And basically the doctor was like, doesn't this hurt? And I was like, it's uncomfortable, but it doesn't hurt. And him and the nurse kind of looked at each other, and he was like, anybody else probably would be screaming and hopping off the table. And I said, well, I'm not saying that I don't want to scream or, or, or lash out. What I'm saying is it comes to a point in your life, especially when you're dealing with these type of issues and especially dealing with pain, is that unfortunately many of us have been taught to just deal with it, make do, you know, and, and, and walk through it. And, and you know, and, and for black women in particular, you know, these are the things that are expected of us our entire life. Yeah, we know you're dealing with some issues, but you have to put everybody else and everything else first before you and before what you're, you know, you're trying to do. And it's unfair on so many levels. And so you find ways to walk through it, to deal with it, to overlook it. Every once in a while you may have to take, you know, an Aleve or an Aspirin or a Motrin, but you learn how to live through it. And to be honest with you, and this is just my opinion, it is that sense of, you know, of of being obligated to put everything and everybody first, that is what's killing us. It's one of the factors killing black women in general. And so I said all of that to say this, basically, you know, with this Me Too movement, you know, I want it to broaden the dialogue. And, and you know, we're talking about sexual assault, sexual harassment, and all of these things. But there are many other things that, you know, need to be conversed about. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, I 100% support Tarana Burke and the Me Too moment. Movement, And this is why, you know, I'm like looking at the black community in general, but specifically the black church 
and asking, you know, maybe, kind of, sort of, just a little bit, question mark, what's going on over there? Because, you know, I'll get into that. I got to talk about this other stuff, though. And um, so, yeah, you know, Tony Braxton, I wish her the very, very best. Um, and, you know, that lupus is no joke, you guys. You know, I've seen, you know, you you see stupid shit in the comment section, and I've seen people say, oh, she's just lazy. She can do it. No, that's not true. And it was one particular scene in which they were going to fly her somewhere, and they wanted her to perform the same night she flew in. And she stated that she couldn't do it. She would be too tired. And they weren't really understanding of that. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I had to wrap up my career because it was nothing for me to be on an airplane Sunday going wherever I needed to be. And once I made it to my destination, get to the hotel and do some paperwork, you know, some administrative stuff before the day started on Monday. And because I was the project manager or the infrastructure or the principal or lead infrastructure engineer on said project, everybody else came into the office at 8, but I would have to be there 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, prepping everything, making sure everything was on par, confirming with third-party vendors that they were going to be there, especially if I had to deal with um, MCI or um, AT&T or Verizon would have to get them out there to make sure that, you know, we would be able to make these changes on the backbone going through, making sure that the new servers were there, making sure that the routers were there, making sure the switches were there along with all of the, you know, cords and everything we needed, whether it was fiber, I mean, all of that. And then, you know, had to be there waiting for the team of technicians that would be sent in to help with the project. And most of the technicians that they sent me were very, very much so underqualified for the job. And so basically what would happen is we would set up a conference room and, you know, all of this had just been planned out for months. Anyway, with me, everybody who worked for me, I knew how to do their job. So if you didn't show up, it didn't make a damn bit of difference to me. Why? Because I could do your, and it was going to be completed with or without you. And so basically it turned into a classroom type of scenario because, like I said, many of the technicians they would send me didn't necessarily understand what to do. And many of them were new technicians. And the only reason why I never really fully complained about it is because I've been that person. And so you have to take all that into consideration, right? But in addition to that, especially when I would have, you know, young black and brown people being sent to me, I would always pull them to the side and tell them, you need to pay attention, you need to take notes, you need to learn. But that's a lot of pressure because while I have them, you know, the first couple of, you know, systems, I would go through it with them. 
and I'd be like, do this. And, and mind you, we would have the paperwork. I would write out the white papers for them, and, you know, I do a lot of technical writing, right? So with me, because I've dealt with people in different countries and, you know, sometimes the translation isn't so great, I'm one of these people. I would take the screenshots with the arrow pointing to this button you know, and say, click this, click that. And I would give them the white papers. But for some of them, they didn't understand that. So I would go through the first few of them with them. And they would have one machine each, and I would have four in front of me. And, you know, I would go through it. But at the same time, I had to run interception because if I was on site, if you saw me, I was one of those people you were never supposed to see. And if you saw me on site, it's because that particular account or that particular office was very sensitive. So usually this was senior management. And my job there was to run interference and basically keep them occupied so that the technicians could complete the job while at the same time being responsible for the technicians that were there, responsible for the technicians that were remoting into the systems, being responsible for the third-party vendors that came in that we contracted with because now we're dealing with, you know, especially if we were switching people over from a hard line to voice over IP. It's just it's a lot that goes into it, and it's a lot of pressure. I'm there before everybody, and I'm there after everybody. And everybody has my cell phone because whenever we would do a job, we would give people two, three weeks of direct access to me to fix things, right? And so, you know, that's hard. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And, um, you know, you know, you get through it. And, you know, that's all I really have to say about that. But the thing with Tony Braxton and all of that, all of that performance, all of the running and ripping, and, you know, she had a family, two young men, two boys, that's just hard. And especially when you feel as though you're carrying your entire family on your shoulders. And so, you know, for some of the people that are out there and that have been hard on her, it's like you just don't know. You don't understand what that woman was dealing with. And even when the little bit that she still does, you know, trust me, that's a battle. And just because someone doesn't look sick, that doesn't mean that they aren't sick. Just because you don't understand what's happening with them, that doesn't mean that it's not happening. And as I've, you know, I've said to a couple of people most recently who were criticizing some other folks, and I'm like, you have no damn idea what that person is going through. So you need to be a little bit more understanding and compassionate, you know. And so, anyway, that's all I have to say about that. It's time to move on. And so, you know, this next story that I want to discuss briefly is basically, I don't know what the hell is going on over there in Israel, but they are now paying about $9,000 to people to cap capture African migrants, right? 
And I already know a few of you out there want to say, no, that's not true. That's a lie. No, it's not a lie. It's actually happening. And I can already see some folks, oh, that's not true. You're being anti-Semitic. And what's interesting is a couple of times when we posted some stories like this on my wall, and I remember one specific story when I was talking about how they were giving birth control to African women without their knowledge, and in some cases performing hysterectomies, and also how they were mistreating Palestinian women. You know, I had some Jewish people get angry because basically I support the Palestinians. Let's make sure that's understood. And and when I say I support them, I support the fact that they should have their own land. I support the fact that they should have their own state. I support the fact that they should be treated with common human decency, dignity, and respect, decency and respect, right? And and so I don't want to hear that shit. And so what's interesting is I had some Jewish people, you know, sending me Martin Luther King quotes taken all out of context trying to tell me that Martin Luther King was calling me out from the grave and angry because I would not blindly support some of the bullshit that the Israelis were trying to do to the Africans and to the Palestinians and even to some of the African Americans that are over there. For some of you, you may not know this, but there are some black Americans that have settled in Israel. Many of them call themselves black Hebrew Israelites or something like that, when, you know, one of those particular sects or cults or groups, and that's happening over there, and they are being mistreated. And so for those that do not believe what I'm saying, you know, I got it from two different websites. One is from QZ.com, and, you you know, I can already see you can't believe that. That's an anti-Semitic rag. No, it's also in Newsweek. So I've committed myself that I'm definitely going to post those um, later on. I want to post them now, but I don't want my computer to freeze up because I have, you know, a shitload of tabs open here. So. You know, go and Google it. You know, again, one of the things that I've been expressing over the years is that, you know, I do this show because I enjoy doing the show, but as time goes on, you get tired of doing a lot of the labor, which is why when I tell you guys, and I'm quoting from an article, I tell you exactly who wrote it and where it's located so you can look it up yourself. Sometimes I post it, sometimes I don't. It's just, I'm just tired, you guys. And so, you know, the whole thing is really interesting. So anyway, I'm not going to support, you know, apartheid in Israel. I'm not going to support them, you know, uh, you know, giving people birth control without their consent. I'm not going to support any of that shit. And what's so interesting is, you know, um, Holocaust Remembrance Day. I think that was yesterday. And I was sitting there watching people tweeting out, and that's wonderful because that was a horrible period of time. Genocide is not the answer. It's wrong. But I also want you guys to remember, you know, it was even more than Jewish people that paid the price during the Holocaust. You know, if you don't understand where the pink triangle came from, it came from that period of time as well. They were killing gays. And they would brand them with a pink triangle. So, you know, gay people were being harmed over there. 
Also, you had some some biracial children from the Rhineland that were, you know, being killed and mistreated over there as well. And if you really want to see some eye-opening shit, go and look up, you know, what happened in the Holocaust with black people, with Africans. You know, sp- you know, specifically look up what's happening with the children from the Rhineland and how their citizenship was snatched from them. I mean, it's just, you know, black people were involved in the Holocaust. They were victims of the Holocaust. And it's important that you understand all of the history. So, you know, we denounce what happened, you know, to the Jewish people. We denounced what happened to the gay people during the Holocaust. You know, we denounced what happened to the Africans during the Holocaust. You know, there is a bigger narrative out there. And I encourage you guys to look it up. And so, you know, what's interesting is one of the articles that came across Twitter, and for those of you, I'm spending more and more time on Twitter than Facebook. You know, I'm tired of watching Facebook fights. And so it was an article, um, and it was talking about ICE and asking if ICE was the new um, Gestapo, right? And it was an interesting perspective it was an interesting point of view, and I understood where they were coming from with that. And one thing that I will say is if you do not understand history and know it, we are going to repeat that shit. So it's incumbent that you educate yourself on these things because, like I said, this shit is cyclical, Right? And you need to understand. So the name of the article was, Remember the Holocaust, or It Will Happen Here. And this was on millennialpolitics.co. And so it was talking about how, you know, ICE arrested fathers dropping off their kids at school, how they were harassing domestic abuse victims outside of the courthouse. They detained a 10-year-old girl in a hospital. And it says here, you know, the Holocaust didn't start with with gas chambers either. So, you know, it's important that you all understand this history because it's hard for you to understand what's happening now if you don't understand what happened then. That's why James Baldwin used to say that white people are caught up in the history that they do not know or understand. And you can expand that because you have black, brown, red, yellow people that are also caught up in a history that they do not know and do not understand. And so I just, um, I'm asking you to go out and to read about these things and to get a better understanding of what happened, you know, and the history behind it because otherwise, you know, unfortunately, I talked about black, brown, red, yellow people, you know, as well as white people perpetuating white supremacy. And it's even more shocking and upsetting when I see black people continuing to perpetuate um, white supremacy. So go out, read, look that up, get a better understanding. It just, it just, it makes you more knowledgeable. And again, when you learn better, you do better. You know, over the years, I've seen people who have learned from this show. I've seen people who learned from this show and stole a whole bunch of material of mine, you know, and part of me wants to be pissed off and angry about it, but 
on the other hand, a really, really good friend of mine that I highly respect was like, eh, no need to get mad about it, Kim. At least they're doing it. So, you know, there is being done. They're following, you know, they're, you know, and, and I get it. I get it. So anyway, um, you know, speaking of Gestapo, right, Eric Badu, I love your music, girl. Got some issues, some idea, you know, ideologically with you, but that's okay. But Hitler is never a good idea to insert Hitler into any of your examples or any of your conversations. You know, that's never a good idea. Maybe you should ask Will Smith about that and how he tried to incorporate Hitler in some of his conversations before. And I think that when he had that, I, I don't really remember. I didn't go look it up before I uh, did the show today. But I, I think that happened before he married Jada Pinkett because if Jada was there, Jada would have cleaned that right on up and got him straight. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just telling, you know, the rest of you, just in case you didn't know, if you got to incorporate or factor Hitler into your conversation, you probably want to sit down and rethink that because that never ends well. Never, whether it's Hitler or Stalin or Mao or any of those, no, 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 don't do it. So um, there you go. Uh, I saw something else on Twitter. Somebody was talking about post-colonial theory. And I was like, what the fuck? So that's a total, utter bullshit. So I haven't had a chance to really go through that and look that shit up, but just on his face, it's a bunch of bullshit. So if you see some post-colonial theory shit, you know, read it, because I never tell people not to read what other people have written. I read a lot of shit that I don't agree with, you know, and every once in a while, they'll hit on something, and I'll be like, well, that's true. But, you know, you're you're stretching, you're reaching here, so... You know, I got to look some more of that up so I can go ahead and shit on that in a few shows. But, um, you know, what's interesting was the conversation that this one professor was having on Twitter. And basically, you know, she had a couple of students or one student in particular that asked her if it was true that Africa had civilizations before slavery. And so, you know, I, I think she was a bit stunned by that question. And it's interesting because this is a white student asking a black professor if Africa had civilizations before slavery. Yes, started over there. Even today, when you look at the weather, weather systems, all of that, it starts in Africa and makes its way across. You really want to know what type of weather is coming your way? Look to see what the fuck is happening in Africa. Which is why those of you that are out here saying climate change is fake, no, it's not. Go up and look up how Africa has charged Western countries with genocide because of the increases in temperature and how they're burning up over there. So anyway, you know, um, there are quite a few Americans just as ignorant. And what's unfortunate is that they don't teach this in school, so you have a lot of black and brown people who do not understand that life began before slavery. 
that we had civilizations before slavery. Black, African, Pan-African history, slavery. Now, I used to say it was something wrong with these kids, but it's nothing wrong with these babies. You aren't teaching them. And you know what? I can't even really point at the teachers because, again, with many of them, you know, they have to stay within certain parameters of what, you know, of the curriculum, what they teach in school. And, you know, some children who are being taught at home with their parents before they go to the regular school, when they get to school and talk to the teachers about, well, that's not really true and try to explain it and break it down, some of these teachers don't know this history either. And some of them do, but they know that their hands are tied. And so that takes an even, you know, broader conversation that needs to be had. And so anyway... I'm going to tell you some some other shit, some bullshit French journalists did. So this French journalist, Ash um, Chimamanda, child, I'm going to fuck your name up, Um, Chimamanda, you know, the black feminist that some other black feminists have issues with some of the things that she said, and I'm not trying to go into all of that today. Okay, I'm not supporting, I'm not, not supporting, I'm not even getting into what she writes about. That's not the issue at hand. So basically a French journalist asked her if her books were being read in Africa. And she said, yes. You know, that's an of course. She's from Africa. You know, people are going to read her stuff. They've been reading it even before, you know, she became mainstream, became popular, before she was even published. You know, I'm pretty sure she was writing about these things while she was in school. So apparently this same French journalist followed it up by asking if there were libraries in Nigeria. So I'm going to let that rest. I want you to let that marinate. And basically she responded to him by saying, I think it reflects poorly on France that you asked that question, right? which was, you know, the perfect clap back at that, right? And so then the journalist, the French journalist said that, well, in France, you know, the only thing they can think about when they hear the word Nigeria is Boko Haram violence and security. And he's not the only one with that particular mindset. That happens here as well. When 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 some of these people hear about black Americans or Latinx people, they think about violence, security, and a number of other general stereotypes and and you know uh, mythology. It's just it's horrible, just the ignorance that's abound. So you know, I don't even know what to say about that shit. Because what can you say to that? And what's interesting is, you know, I've seen some people say some crazy shit like that, and then when you try to educate them, they get angry, and they resent you for correcting them. So we got to do better. You got to do better. And what's so unfortunate about it is some of these people will wait for you to educate them. And will get angry when you tell them that it is not your job to educate them about these things. They feel as though they're entitled, you know, and, and, and then even when you try to educate them on some things, 
you know, in many cases it goes in one ear and not the other, or they want to argue with you about it, or they want to say, no, that's not what it is. You know, that's not racism. This is So it's just the whole thing is just nuts, you know. And so something I forgot to mention last week that I wanted to mention, and I'm just going to go on ahead and say it now while it's back on my brain. But, you know, times have truly changed because I remember back in the day, if you told people that the folks inside the television were talking to you, that was frowned upon. <laughs> you know, people on the TV are talking to me. No. And so I don't understand how Donald Trump is getting away with some of the shit that he's getting away with because apparently there was a conversation um, with some people and Jay-Z was on it. And and Trump is out here tweeting, you know, telling Jay-Z that because of his policies and what he's done, that black unemployment is at its lowest level. And that's not true. And it's disingenuous on a number of levels for Donald Trump to be saying that. However, his people are going to believe that. And when I say his people, I'm not just talking about the crazy white evangelicals that voted him into the office. I'm talking about some black and brown folks that voted for him, too. So, because um, this market is going to correct itself. It has to. And mark my words, he's going to blame all of that on Barack Obama and George Bush and Bill Clinton. And that's not to say that, you know, they don't have any skin in the game, because they do. But just watch and pay attention. Right, and so, you know, it's been really interesting. So Steve Bannon is coming to the University of Chicago, which is interesting, but not so much because those of us that live here in Chicago and understand the university (laughs) and, you know, the mindset of many of the people in administration up there, you know, University of Chicago is racist as fuck on a number of different levels. So why you are surprised that they invited Steve Bannon to come speak, I don't understand. But what's interesting is I see people resigning from their jobs, speaking out about it. And, you know, and what's so interesting is you got some folks saying, well, why are you giving him a platform? You know, they're not necessarily giving him a platform. He already had a platform. They're just giving him an opportunity to, to you know, to try to reel in more people and possibly expand that platform. But see, this is the thing. That racism and xenophobia and, you know, misogyny and all that shit that's more in your face right now, that, 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 that's just glaring from this pinky in the brain administration, this isn't new. This was always there. All they did was rip the scab off the sore. That has never healed in this country, and it was always there. Now he's making it okay to come out and and say all this crazy shit. So they're not necessarily giving him a platform. What they are offering him is a vehicle to reach more people. So, um, you know, they still got to start looking at it a little bit differently. And they're going to have protesters out there. And those protesters are going to be held at bay. And I don't believe it's going to be enough pressure from the public 
to stop them from bringing Steve Bannon to the university. So we'll watch that. You keep your eyes on that. You know, keep your eyes on that bullshit right there. But like I said, you know, uh, times have changed because, you know, not only is Trump saying that the people in the TV are talking to him, he's talking back to them. You know, it's like, it's so funny. Uh, Some of the things that I heard growing up and, you know, talking about issues like this, but all this does is it opens up the conversation about mental health care and how the mental health care funding is decreasing. And what's interesting is people sometimes, you know, you're not looking at the bigger picture. The federal government pushes money down to these states for a number of different programs, right? And so the money is still there. The money is still being designated for A, B, C, D, and E, but if they're closing down mental health care facilities, if they're decreasing the funding and all of that, that doesn't mean they're giving the money back to the federal government. They're just using it for someone else or something else. Their pet projects, and the pet project that's happening in Chicago is a ninety-five million, or well, we'll just say a ninety million dollar police and fire academy that they want to put in the middle of a predominantly black, impoverished neighborhood, right next to the blackout site in that area. It may not be next door, but when I say next, I'm talking about in the vicinity, right? And so, yeah, buddy. And Rahm Emanuel has cut a lot of money from mental health care programs in Chicago. Um, you know, talking about the closure of clinics. I'm going to post a couple of articles about that. You know, um, one from the Chicago Tribune and one from Belt Magazine. The one from Belt Magazine, the title of the article is Facing a Mental Health Care System Gutted by Mayor Emanuel, Chicago Residents Plagued by Gun Violence Are Opting to Fund Their Own Clinics. And that's in Belt Magazine. Over in Chicago Tribune, there is an article that I'm going to post. And basically, as soon as it pops up here, I'll tell you. Okay, Emanuel's Mental Health Care Clinic Closures, Curiously Absent from Kennedy Forum. And those who are trying to figure out Kennedy Forum, we have one of the Kennedy relatives here running for governor of Illinois. And that whole thing, this entire governor race, is nothing but a shit show, you know. And they're all fucking corrupt. So anyway, um, it's just a lot of shit that's going on. And so... I don't know. So, yeah, you know, I'm looking at these Republicans and these white evangelicals, these white people making excuses for Donald Trump, giving him a mulligan, which is a do-over, right? That's a golf term for do-over. And coming out with this bullshit saying we are all sinners and that, you know, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. But what's so interesting is they had a conversation with one of these pastors, these white evangelical pastors, and he was complaining about how the Democratic Party had been basically, you know, beating up the white evangelical church and ignoring what they wanted and and how they wanted Trump 
because they wanted to fight back. They wanted to have their issues heard, and they wanted to, you know, you know, basically fight back. That's what it boils down to. And so when the reporter asked them more about it and, and say use their scriptures against them, you know, aren't you supposed to turn the other cheek? And the white pastor said, well, we only have two cheeks. But if one of his parishioners had said that, they would have been the subject of the very next sermon after they got sermonized after saying that, how you're supposed to forget seven times 70. And all of these things that don't apply to them, but it applies to the rest of you, right? So basically they felt like they were getting their asses kicked all over the place and they wanted to fight back. But don't you dare fight back. Slaves obey your slave masters, right? American atheists, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, I'm just saying all of that to say this. We got to do better. And for those that have been listening for a while, I'm not a Democrat, nor am I a Republican. I don't like either one of them motherfuckers. You know this. I am an independent. I do believe that we need to raise up a viable third party and force change. And see, and with the Democratic Party and the way that they've been treating black people, especially black women, is horrible. You know, for this last election or, you know, campaign season with Hillary Clinton, they basically cut money that was that normally would be stipulated to go to the black communities to get out the vote, they took a lot of that money back. You know, they didn't take a lot of black women into consideration, didn't take the suggestions of a lot of black women. And and what's interesting is they took the black vote for granted, and when black people did not turn out in the numbers that had turned out for Barack Obama, the Democrats got angry and blamed the black community the black and brown community, but more so the black community, and basically making us feel as though we are beholden to them and we owe them our vote, which is bullshit. So what I'm saying now, with black women, you know, taking their power back or reclaiming their power, reclaiming their vote, reclaiming their place in history, reclaiming their place, you know, in our communities, you know, change is here, and more change is coming. And if the Democratic Party is really serious about working with the black community, especially black women, you need to understand that your dated strategies don't work anymore. Walking out into the, you know, and when I say this, I'm saying across the board. I mean, look at what the hell happened in Charlottesville. You had ministers, black, white, brown, yellow, red, all of them out there, you know, trying to block the way, and those white supremacists ran them right over, was beating on them, hurting them, and security had to get them out of the way, and Democratic Party, you know, and even the Republican Party somewhat, but more so the Democratic Party, your old dated strategies won't work anymore. You know, locking arms and sitting in the middle of the sidewalk in front of J.P. Morgan Chase to make them make some changes and singing old Negro spirituals, that don't work no more. And you need to understand that. And then also, you know, black people, and I'm talking about black people because that's what I know. If you, don't, if you aren't aware, I'm a black people. 
right? We've been shitted on by all of you, even some of the people in our own community, especially black women, and we're just at the point where we're not going to take that shit anymore. And this is a groundswell that's happening. And you better be prepared because it's building up and building up. Now I want to sing solid as a rock. But anyway, you need to pay attention to what's happening because the same bullshit that you've been pulling for the past two, three decades, it clearly doesn't work anymore. And now that we're starting to understand the power that we do have, what did Sophia say? She said there's going to be some changes around here. Yeah, that's happening. So, you know, um, I just said that to say this to make it an easier transition into today's topic, right? So, yeah, dear black church, dear black community, hashtag me too, right? Silence. Crickets and tumbleweeds. I hear a voice here and there. I see a picture here and there. But there is a hell of a lot to be talked about and discussed, right? So, you know, I you know, I'm sitting back and I'm wondering, you know, you know, how is the and this is the main reason why I didn't respond to this last year really with a full fledged show. Because I wanted to sit back and watch and to see what the fallout was, to see what the reception was and see what the response would be specifically from the black church and the black community to the Me Too movement. And again, crickets and tumbleweeds from the black church. You know, you got a few of them out here calling it out and supporting it, but not nearly enough. And we are the main ones that should be talking about this shit, especially when a number of you bent over backwards to defend R. Kelly. Right, James Meeks, Salem Baptist Church? Hey, Corey. (laughs) What you going to do? And while I'm asking you about your response to the Me Too movement, let me just throw another damn grenade out there for you. Another question for the black church and the black community. Has Christianity, as we know it, as people of color, has Christianity been co-opted by crazy, racist, white evangelicals? That's a serious question. Have you allowed that to happen? Or have you joined in? So there's a number of you that have joined in. I don't even have to tell you about Reverend Manning in New York and Reverend Jesse Lee Patterson. And, you know, it's so interesting. I was thinking about them on last week's show when I was talking. And, you know, for those who know me in real life, you know, I'm talking about this now, but trust me, I'm like five talking points away because there's a bunch of shit going on in my head that I'm like, I need to talk about this, and sometimes I just get so caught up and I forget things. But what I wanted to say in regards to people like Jesse Lee, you know, Jesse Lee Patterson and and the Manning guy, the one who called Barack Obama's um, mother, you know, a bitch, 
Are you sure these are the people you want representing you, black church? Not only that, but the black politicians. You know what happened down in Alabama with Roy Moore. You know, Alan Keyes, you know, he slinked from under his damn rock to come out to support Roy Moore, trying to rewrite his his little career. Because if you don't remember, remember when Barack Obama was running for Senate, he got an apartment in in Illinois, in Chicago here, and then declared his candidacy for Senate because he didn't want Barack Obama to win. And even more on Alan Keyes, go back and read up the history about his daughter. When his daughter came out as LGBTQ, he stopped paying for her college. And a lot of the white feminists, I'll give them credit for this, and there was some black feminists too that can't forget us. In our part, we played in that. But, you know, we got the money up so that that young woman could finish her career, finish her education. Now, I haven't looked up to see how she's been doing none of that, I, y'all. So, you know, just look it up. I'm going to look up and see how she's doing and all of that. But I just think it's important that you understand that. Also, where in the hell is Ward Connolly? You know, what's so interesting, you got Jesse Lee, you got Alan Keyes, you got the Manning dude. And all of that, and what's interesting is just uh, J.C. Watts came out of, you know, his sabbatical, his, his retirement, to talk about the racism behind the Pinky and the Brain administration. And like I said, I like J.C. Watts. But when you had black Republicans like J.C. Watt and Colin Powell and a few other black Republicans out here talking about the racism that was embedded into the pinky and the brain campaign, you know, platform, you know it's bad, you know, and it was interesting. So just watching all of this, but going back to, you know, what I'm saying, has Christianity been co-opted by crazy racist white evangelicals? You know what, that's going to be a show one day because I'm going to give you a chance to kind of think about that, let it marinate. But, yeah, black church and black community, it's time to break the silence. You know, the crimes and the abuse and the cover-up, you know, you're getting shit swept under the rug. You're getting shit mansplained by black men and black women, you know. And there was an article that um, I want you guys to go out and read, and I'm, I'm going to try to remember to post this, but the article is, the historical erasure of violence against black women. And so um, black studies at Duke posted this. Go out and read that. I haven't had a chance to read the entire article, but so far so good. It's been a good article. So go out and read that. And, again, I don't expect everybody to agree with everything, you know, in these articles. But it's important that, you know, you go out and you read, even if it's something that you don't necessarily agree with, you know. And then also another one from Black Studies at Duke, they put out an article, Reporter Might Have Discovered Wreck of Last Known American Slave Ship, which was the Clotilda, C-L-O-T-I-L-D-A. Go look that up. That doesn't have anything to do with the show, but I found it interesting. So look that up. You know, and with this particular last known American slave ship. Now, again, last known American slave ship, right? Basically, 110 people, 110 enslaved people 
from present-day Benin to Alabama were sent to, basically sent to Alabama more than 50 years after the U.S. outlawed the slave trade. So again, the Clotilda illegally transported 110 enslaved people from present-day Benin to Alabama more than 50 days, 50 days, 50 years after the U.S. outlawed the slave trade. So the name of the ship was Clotilda, C-L-O-T-I-L-D-A. So I just thought that was really interesting, you know, um, and this, again, happened 50 years that the blacks were so-called emancipated. And what's so interesting about that is when we talk about when the slaves were emancipated and they started, you know, moving around the country and leaving and how basically, you know, in some cases there were too many of them in certain cities and how basically they were, you know, detained and fenced in and not allowed to leave and, you know, people were dying off and, you know, you have people saying that, oh, that's a myth, that's a myth, that never happened. Yeah, it did. And what's interesting is, you know, what's so sad is when black people talk about these things, you have other black people, but especially a lot of white people who are saying that never happened, and they don't understand history. So for those of you that are out there, you know, it's like I need to learn a lot more about what happened after slavery. And I also need to learn a lot more about black reconstruction. There are a couple of books coming out. Um, I think Vanessa Holloway has a book coming out later on this year talking specifically about black reconstruction in that era. So anyway, there's that. So let's go back to the black church and the black community. It's time to break the silence. And what's interesting is you'll have people out here saying, well, you know, they did to me, this to me when I was in the church or that happened to my cousin and we turned out all right. No, you didn't. You know, and then also, you know, I want to make sure that we incorporate everybody into this conversation because black women, like I said, we've been mistreated, we've been abused, taken advantage of, taken for granted, you know, and written out of our own history. As a matter of fact, they're factoring us out of the black community as we speak. You got white women trying to turn themselves into black women, trying hard, y'all, right? And um, we can't allow that to happen. And the best way to get somebody's attention is their fucking pocketbook and taking away their power. So money and power, that's the name of the game. And so when we're having this conversation about black women and how we've been mistreated and we've been silenced and we've been ignored and, and, you know, in some cases beaten into submission, and there are a lot of ways that you can abuse people, you know, not just physical abuse. You have financial abuse. You have emotional abuse. You have psychological abuse. You know, just a number of things. So when I talk about abuse, I'm talking across a number of different, um, you know, avenues there that you can take in regards to talking about abuse. But we got to also remember that there are some other black women out here that abuse other black women. And then we also have to remember to include, you know, trans women, um, black femmes. And I've talked about this somewhat on the show about how homophobia is a weapon of white supremacy. 
You know, um, it's a weapon of homophobia, which plays into white supremacy. But, you know, I don't know, maybe I sound like I didn't quite get that right. Sexism is a weapon of homophobia, which plays into white supremacy. It's a weapon of that as well, right? So, yeah, I got it right. I just had to think about it. And so this is why I'm saying we have to include black femmes into that conversation. And so there are a few articles that I'm definitely going to post, but I want to make sure that across the board that we do not leave people, you know, out of this conversation. You know, um, something that happened last year, and someone brought it to my attention. I, I I looked at some of that, but it was just a bunch of fuckery. But it's interesting because, you know, there was a situation which, you had one black woman writing violent rape fantasies about another black woman. And, you know, I'm not really going to touch it for right now. But what I will say is pay attention to the people surrounding these folks. And, you know, some of the mansplaining that I saw coming from a couple of black women regarding that situation and basically castigating the victim as being crazy, as being emotional or hysterical, you know, the person that wrote the violent fantasies and, and you know, and, and past comments from the person that they idolized. You know, white, I mean, not white, but black women can be some of the biggest, you know, uh, perpetrators and perpetuate, you know, this white supremacy bullshit. I mean, you know, I look at it and sometimes I'll see something and I'm like, I'm not touching that with a, you know, I'm I'm just not touching it, not with a 10-foot pole or anything else. But we can't do that because these stories need to be heard. These stories need to be told. But some of the shit is uncomfortable, you know, and it's uneasy. And also it opens you up. And, you know, there are a number of directions that can, you know, derive from that a number of consequences, you know, and we just have to do better. So anyway, um, I would recommend that you guys go out and take a look at an article that was written on blackyouthproject.com, right? And the title of the article, From the Million Woman March to Me Too, How Movements Created by and for Black Women Are Appropriated. And so, you know, some of you may be like, well, Kim, where did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the reason why I want you to read this particular article, you know, there are a number of things that you can glean from from this article. However, with the Me Too moment, you have a lot of white women, especially white celebrity women like Lena Dunham, Alyssa Milano, and, you know, a few other ones that are basically appropriating Me Too, right? And originally, they were not giving Tarana Burke her just, you know, her just due. 
until the black feminists on Twitter pushed it. And they had no other choice but to incorporate Tarana Burke into the conversation. However, you have, you know, Lena Dunham, who has now figured out how to capitalize off of that because I guess she has a few projects in the works um, coming from her Me Too epiphany or her Me Too um, experience, I guess. And so um, this is not the first time this has happened. Even with the Women's March, um, initially – they were going to call it, you know, the Million Women March or Million Woman March until somebody reminded them that that had already happened and that had been organized by black women. And so that's where some of the conflict came in last year for the Women's March and why you had so many black feminists, you know, kind of stepping back and, you know, looking at it and calling it out for what it was. And so, you know, I know some of you out there, because I've seen some black women, brown women, red, yellow, white women, saying, well, how can you say that we appropriated anything? Nothing is original. And just because we want to talk about it over here, that doesn't mean we're trying to take it away. We're helping you. All right? We're helping you. And the fact that you want to say that we disregarded you and all of that, you want to say we're racist, but no, you're the one that's racist because you're bringing up race, right? Is that how that conversation goes? And so when you bring these things up and you you try to have a conversation, you know, going over these particular issues and telling them why it's deemed as problematic, you know, again, with that white fragility and those white tears, you know, it pops out, and then the the conversation goes from, you know, being focused on black women by the people who originally brought this particular movement or what have you to the forefront, now it moves from centering black women to centering white women or white people and their fragility and their tears. And it happens over and over and over. And that white fragility, as Dr. Anthea Butler said, That white fragility is going to kill us. Because, again, deny, deflect, and derail. You know, and I read a quote from Charles Blow um, last week or the week before, and basically he was talking about how we need to stop having certain conversations with white people because basically they're doing, you know, they're, they're rehashing this and trying to make you educate them and, and trying to make you engage them on the same subjects over and over when they know what's happening, they see what's happening, they're just delaying time to watch you go under. And this is why you see many of us moving forward. This is why you hear many of us saying that we are tired and we're not going to come out and talk to white people about racism anymore. 
And so, you know, it's been appropriated. A lot of black stuff has been appropriated. But especially with this resistance and with the social justice movement. And you see it in a lot of different subcultures. And you see some of these white women and men, again, capitalizing on it while at the same time trying to silence the women who created these movements, who financed these movements, who supported these movements, yet to only be beaten down, chastised, ostracized, disregarded, stolen from, you know, and and, and not supported, and you see some of these women out here literally dying. Don't have enough money to pay their bills. You know, and in some cases, the little money that they do have, you know, some of these people, they will come and take that. And, you know, what's interesting is with some of these white people that capitalize off of this, they become multimillionaires, but the black women that they stole from in way too many cases die destitute and poor and sick, you know, and and feeling unappreciated, unloved, and unwanted. See, there's a lot that goes into this. And so, um, you know, it's just important. So it's another article on Black Youth Project that I would like for you guys to go and read. And the title of the article is, It's Not Just Straight Men. We all have to reckon with internalized femphobia in the wake of Me Too. And that's, you know, that's a really, really good article. And, you know, if you're out here and you're trying to educate yourself on these things, you know, you have to look beyond. And, you know, again, with the black church, LGBTQ people have always been in the church. And it wasn't until the white evangelicals and the white Southern Baptists started dehumanizing, discriminating openly, and, you know, again, further victimizing LGBTQ people. That's when some members of the black church joined in with them on this. And, you know, there's been a silence in the white church and a white community regarding Me Too, but, you know, you have some that are speaking out. You know, um, go and look up hashtag Me Too black church, hashtag Me Too black community, hashtag Me Too pastor, you know, hashtag me too in church and you'll come across a number of these stories you know you have some white pastors this one woman white pastor that talks about being raped you know and and you know and it goes you know not only about being raped sexual assault sexual harassment just all types of abuse you know you go into some of these churches and if you're a member of the church, especially if you volunteer to help out, you know, they use you, they abuse you. If you don't want to do what they want you to do, when they want you to do it, and how they want you to do it, 
you become the subject of the sermon. In some cases, they get physical with you or they try to force you not only to do for them but to do for other people. Um, you know, if, you know, a friend of mine was attending this church. It's predominantly white. And so there was a gay male couple that attended the church, and they both were ill, right? And so she would volunteer to go over, you know, um, on the weekends for a couple of days, you know, once or twice a month. It really was like twice a month to kind of help out with the laundry and cleaning and all of that. And, you know, this was part of her being a part of, I guess, a willing worker, you know, one of the church's willing workers. And so when she got tired of doing it because of different situations, different circumstances, and she decided she wasn't going to do it anymore. She told them that she wouldn't be able to assist them anymore. Well, apparently these two white men called up the white male pastor, and the pastor basically chastised her, damn near cussed her out, mistreated her, and told her that she would be going back and she would be working for them and she will do it for free. Imagine that. I really just want you to think about that. The pastor of the church telling her that she will go back to these two older white men go back to their home and clean up for them and do their housekeeping or whatever else that they needed, you know, she would take their laundry to the laundromat and do it. She would go brush all of that. And having the white pastor tell her that she would go back and she would do it and she won't complain about it. So she left the church. And, you know, she didn't she never told me about it. And what happened was um, there was something going on, and she saw my name and my picture, and she was like, oh, I know her. And so, you know, she called me up to get reacquainted, and we're talking on the phone, and she told me about that. And I told her that everything was going to be okay, and I asked her if she had left the church. She said yes, and she found a new church, and I told her I was happy that she found the new church, and I told her not all pastors are like that. Not all religious people are like that. And she sat on the phone and she cried. And she thanked me and she said that it meant a lot to hear me say that, especially since she knew that I was not a church goer, nor am I necessarily a church apologist. But the fact that I took time out to let her know that not everybody is going to treat her that way, and she was not deserving of being treated that way. And me having, you know, the, the ideology that I have and the belief system that I have, it meant a lot to her that I even took time out to try to console her and to let her know that not everybody is like this, you know, because I felt so bad for her. And I knew the name of the church, but she made me promise not to put the pastor on blast because I was going to talk about that ass, all right? And so, you know, and, and that was in a white church. In black churches, I've seen them use some of the willing workers in the same way, you know, coming over to the house, cleaning up everything, fixing all their stuff up, not only for the pastor and, and the pastor's spouse, but the pastor's children, 
And, you know, you know, not only doing physical or manual labor, but in some cases, you know, doing a little extra something there. And I'm like, really? And in being verbally abused by, you know, not only the pastor and the pastor's spouse, but the children, and then also the cronies. and pat- It's just, it's a lot that happens. And what's interesting is that when you hear some of these people who are now ministers or pastors, they'll talk about what they went through with their old pastor and how the pastor made them clean up the bathroom or the pastor made them do A, B, C, D, and E or made them feel some kind of way. And then they try to cloak it and say, well, you know, this is what I had to do and what I had to go through and it made me a better person and so when I treat people in my church that way, they need to know that one day they'll be like me and, you know, and, and, and that they'll get through it and it's okay, but this is part of the rite of passage, which is bullshit. Now, one person out there who talks about that, I haven't heard her talk about it in a while, but I haven't really been listening to her lately. I really do need to put her back on my radar. But Juanita Bynum. And with Juanita Bynum, now, Obviously, ideologically, we ain't on the same page, right? But with Juanita Bynum, she has really suffered a lot of abuse from the church. But then she also has abused a lot of people under the guise of the church. And it's not just her. It's a number of other ones, but, you know, the reason why I'm using her as an example is because you can probably go and find that sermon on YouTube somewhere, and I actually need to find it myself so I can go on ahead and post it. But she talked about, you know, the little trials and, and, and you know, um, duties and things that she had to go through, and it just sounded like straight-up abuse. And so, you know, the whole thing is, you know, and I've seen other women in these churches in which, you know, they themselves or their families did without so that the leadership of the church could have, you know, whether it was her time or her money. And, you know, what's so interesting is if you go back and you look through history, And you see what has happened to a lot of black women, you know, from back in the day and even now. Because we have been so oppressed and denied so much, many of them didn't even really have a chance to raise their own children and to be there for their own children because they had to go and take care of, you know, the children of the people that they worked for or in some cases, the children of the of the pastor. And there are a number of stories, but, you know, with the sexual abuse, uh, you know, that has been happening throughout time. This is nothing new. And if you dial it back and you go all the way back to when, you know, slaves were brought to this country, black women, again, been used, abused, told that it was their fault, not only from the white people, but also from quite a few black men and some black women. And, you know, the stereotypes about black women out there, you get Jezebel, you get Sapphire, 
you know, Manny and, and a bunch of other things. And a lot of this is done to control black women, to dehumanize them. And that is why this Me Too mo- movement is so important, extremely important. And that's not to say that black men weren't stereotyped. You know, they were, especially sexually. And so, you know, there's a lot of conversations that need to be had. But in regards to sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual coercion, however you want, you know, you want to categorize that, you know, there have been men, women, boys and girls that have been, you know, harmed and victimized. And I've talked about it on this show before, especially with some of the young men and young women, boys and girls, how basically in some cases they are groomed by older people in the community and or older people in the church, and they are groomed for sexual, you know, indiscretions, if you will, You know, I hate to use that word, but that's the one that's coming to my head right now. And so what happens is in some of these cases, you'll have this older person who's in a place of authority, and that child may revere them. In some cases, you'll have parents that will basically push their child in the direction of that individual hoping that, you know, this would be a mentor or some type of guide or what have you, you know, or even just a curry favor with the pastor or that particular individual. Because that individual could be the pastor or it could be someone else. And what happens, what I've seen in a couple of cases is what they will do is give these young people items, gifts, money, whatever, in some cases, attention, attention. And in turn, for them giving them these items, these young people are expected to perform sexual acts. And again, like I said, that happens in a church and happens in a community. And it's unfortunate because with some of these adults, that are mistreating these young people, and even some adults, you know, what? not only, you know, with the gifts and all that with the young people, but with some of the older people too because, you know, I got to remember I need to incorporate all of that because you have a lot of women that are put in that particular position and especially getting the counsel of certain ministers, they will tell you in some cases to stay in abusive relationships or they'll introduce you to a friend of theirs, you know, a single man that's looking for a godly wife, a Proverbs 31 woman, right? And this guy is nuttier than a fruitcake. But yet, you take your resources, you marry him, take your resources and you allow him to so-called manage that because that's what the Bible says, that's what the church says, that's what your pastor said. And even if it's not that, you know, maybe that's what Big Mama them told you or some of the other women that you hang around with that says, well, that's what he's supposed to do. And next thing you know, y'all homeless because he spent the rent money up. 
You spent it up, but you didn't see a dime of it, right? And so a lot of dysfunction, a lot of that happening. But I've also seen in the church, whereas, let's just say, sexual abuse is discovered. Now, in some cases, people know about it. They're just quiet about it. But if it's discovered, in most cases, you will have people in the leadership that may try to cover it up by threatening the parent or the individual who's being abused. And, again, that even goes beyond sexual abuse, again, financial, emotional, psychological, and tell them that they better not talk about it. What happens in this house stays in this house, right? Don't you go out there telling people about our business. I've also seen situations in which people were paid off. And, you know, in one specific case, you know, the person was run out of that particular city and went somewhere else for, you know, some years and came right on back. And they were run out of the city because of some abuse, and that particular church and pastor had to pay that person's family, that person in their family, to not publicize that. But it was not the first time that that person had victimized someone. And so these situations and these, these you know, horrible acts, in, in some cases, are perpetuated over and over and over and has become so commonplace and ingrained in these particular communities and cultures that it's like, you know, people think it's no big deal or, you know, that happened to so-and-so and they turned out. But no, they didn't. And this is one of the biggest reasons why I am a proponent of mental health care. Go find you somebody that's a neutral third party to talk to. And some of you are like, yeah, well, we got life coaches at, at church. No, I'm not talking about them. Oh, well, they can go and talk to the pastor. Hell no. Why? Because there have been cases in which people have gone to the pastor to talk about these things only for the pastor to find out this person's weakness and to perpetuate the same crime over and over. Now, I'm not saying all of them, but there's been way too many of these examples. And so... These dialogues are desperately needed. You know, you have people, you know, they've just been harmed across the board. You know, and like I said, in, even in the black community, you know, you got some Me Too stories out here talking about people who were raped by the police. As a matter of fact, there was an article, um, and the title is, Why Has Police Sexual Misconduct Escaped the Me Too Movement? And there is a woman here in Chicago who who came out with her story, and she is speaking out about being raped by a police officer. That's a conversation that needs to be had too, you know. And and you know the women that have been the black women especially that have been victimized by authority figures, you know, need to be talked about. Let's talk about the divorce attorney. Ah, that have assaulted, you know, some women, you know, and and you wouldn't believe some of the shit that's going on out here, you know, and so 
child, I just want you guys to go out and do some reading. There was an article, I think it was in a religious, let me see here, I have it here somewhere, with the Religion News Service, and it says, where is the church on Me Too? So they're talking about the church in general. I get that, but black church, where are you? Community, where are you? You know, we got to have these conversations. And as long as we continue to sweep it under the rug, allow folks to silence you, allow folks to bully you into silence, you know, and I know some of you are like, well, I signed a non-disclosure agreement and la, 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 and they may turn around and sue me. I understand. But you may be one of many because what happens in situations like this is, you know, with black women especially, they make you feel like you're crazy. They make you feel like nobody is going to believe you. And then once you do speak out, or you hear about someone and something else that happened that was similar, and you start finding out that you aren't the only one. But, again, they try to ostracize you to the point where, see, you're the only one talking about that. You're the only one talking like that. You're the only one that, you know, you know this has happened to. And what happens is when you do speak out, you know, even if you haven't signed an NDA or anything like that, you know, even when you speak out, they try to paint you as crazy. They try to paint you as demented. They try to paint you as jealous. They try to paint you as the devil coming in to tear up the church or to tear up the community, all of these things. And this comes from men and women. And it's just really unfortunate because, you know, it's done so much harm over the years. And so, like I said, you know, we need to open up this conversation you know, I'm going to do some more searches on, you know, the black church and their reception to the Me Too movement. But I would have thought, especially black Christian women, would have been all over this. You know, over the years, we've seen some black Christian feminists, which has been really interesting to watch. You know, and so times are changing. But it's some of the old traditions, some of the old mindsets, some of the old beliefs that need to just be totally tossed out because it's bullshit on a lot of levels. And, you know, again, it's not just the black church. You still got the black secular community. You got the, the black spiritual community because you got some black folks out there. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. So they don't necessarily consider themselves necessarily a part of the black church, right? And then you got some people that ain't a part of none of that shit. So talk about that community too. And you see it. And you have people out here abusing their power, abusing the little bit of privilege that they do have as black people. You know, and, and in some cases... You know, if there's a black man that has harmed a black woman, they'll send other black women to stop that black woman from talking, stop that black woman from pressing charges, stop that black woman from, you know, confronting him, especially, you know, on a Sunday in front of everybody. 
And what's so interesting is some of these people have become so adept at this particular situation that they will convince those black women that they were wrong. You harmed that black woman, but yet this black woman is now standing before you and apologizing, apologizing to you because they embarrassed you. But you have yet to offer one word of apology for harming and victimizing this black woman or this black man or that black child. And that that type of dysfunction is not only found in the church, it's found in the community. And these people will have you apologizing for being sexually assaulted. Well, you shouldn't have worn that dress. Here you go. I'm so sorry, Pastor. I'm so sorry, Mr. Joe. I'm so sorry, you know, Miss um, Brown or whoever the hell. Because my dress was cut too low and I put too much perfume on. All that is bullshit. But they have become master manipulators to the fact, to the point that you will apologize for being victimized. You will apologize for being traumatized. You will apologize for having ill thoughts. You will apologize for feeling sorry or feeling bad for yourself. And then some of them will come at you, or you're a strong black woman. Why do you feel the need to go out here and tell this story and tell these people about this? You're a survivor. You know, every time you tell the story, you, you are re-victimizing yourself. And that's not true. It's your story, and it's your story to tell. Don't ever allow anybody to scare you into silence. But what I will say is we still have a lot of people that are not able to speak up because they're still traumatized, they're still triggered, don't put pressure on them. They'll speak up when they feel it's time for them to speak up. And some of them may never speak up at all. And so that is their decision to make. Do not push, you know, pressure or stress them and force them to tell their story. No. And so, like I said, it's just it's such a broad dialogue, you know, across many spectrums, you know, spectrums or avenues that we need to walk down, we need to cross, we need to bask in, you know, we just, we just need to talk. And this isn't going away. As a matter of fact, I feel as though it's getting even worse. And the only reason why some people may be a little hesitant now is because of the Me Too moment. And, and people are feeling emboldened and empowered to tell their truth. But then it'll die down and people will move on, life goes on. And especially some of the, you know, I like to call them career sexual predators, they will go back to their old ways knowing that in many cases, especially if they victimize a black woman, a black girl, and a black boy, 
and in some cases black men, that they won't say anything else. I mean, this Me Too movement, you know, there are black men, I'm going to talk about black men right now, black men that are being harmed and victimized and sexually assaulted, you know, and it's not only in jail, it's not only in the penal system. Because even then, when you have some black inmates that have been raped and harmed, you have the jail guards teasing them and not believing them and then putting them into situations that are dangerous so that they can be re-victimized. But this is happening, you know, in the community. I want you guys to go and look up in Washington, D.C. I don't know what the fuck is happening up there, but you have had people pulling up in a van, grabbing black men off the street and raping them. And so, you know, and and that's not to take away from black women because they do the same thing to black women, girls, and boys. But, you know, over the past several years, that has been, it's like when I first saw the story, the first one, I thought it was an Onion article. But it wasn't. And, you know, like I said, this conversation needs to be broadened. But this is happening. And it's not going to stop. And what are we going to do? You know, my question to you out there, when you see this happening to someone, they're being abused on any level, really, and are you speaking out? And in some cases, you know, I hate to be negative Nancy, in some cases, you have people speaking up and speaking out because they think it will benefit them or they'll be able to capitalize on it in another way. I'm not talking to you motherfuckers because you don't give a damn. You're just trying to figure out what you can get out of this situation. I'm talking about the people out here who truly care about other folks. Are you speaking up? Are you speaking out? Are you... Are you you know, talking to this person and encouraging them and supporting them, trying to help them find resources. Maybe they need someone to talk to. You know, it's possible that a pregnancy occurred because of the assault. It can just be a number of things, you know. And and also in some of these cases, we've seen women being told and in some cases forced to carry out the pregnancy from a rape. And so um, it's a lot more that I would like to say, but, you know, it's troubling, it's dehumanizing, it's degrading, and a number of other adjectives that, you know, you can use regarding this situation. And so, like I said, this conversation has to go beyond talking about rich, famous, influential, wealthy public figures. You know, we're talking about, you know, little Ray Ray up the block. You know, been touching up on on the kids in the neighborhood. It's about Mr. Willie around the corner offering the kids candy and money and 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 then encouraging or coercing these children to perform sexual acts on each other while he watches 
or commit sexual acts on him or one of his friends. I'm talking about the stepdaddy that impregnated his wife's child. I'm talking about the boyfriend who's dating the mother and and the child. I'm talking about the parent that's sexually abusing their own child. I'm talking about the people that are out there that see these things happening and not saying a damn word. I'm talking about the people that are out there saying, well, that's none of my business. I'm talking about the people that are out there saying that I'm not going to get involved. It's never going to get better. And there's going to come a time when you're going to have to, you know, put your foot down. You're going to have to step up. You're going to have to speak out. And even if, you know, no one is saying you have to get in front of a microphone, in front of 20 news cameras or anything like that. You know, even if you're sitting there and you're talking to your children and telling them about how there are certain private areas that people shouldn't be touching and, and you know, and, and, and what to look out for and creating creating an environment in which your children can come and talk to you about these things, creating an environment in which grown people, whether they're related to you or not, can actually come and talk to you because they feel that you're safe. We need to think about these things because this is serious. You got folks out here saying, well, I turned out okay. No, the fuck you didn't. And the only reason why you don't hear me saying, no, the hell you didn't or anything like that in your face is because, you know, in some cases it's deemed politically incorrect. But, I mean, you know, putting all that bullshit and, and, and the respectability politics out of the way, you know, you didn't turn out okay. You know, and if you go to the DSM, basically each and every last one of us is deemed as crazy. So don't think that, uh, you know, it's just it's unreal. And I really think you guys need to think about this, and we need to broaden this conversation. This conversation needs to be had. But also, again, you know, it's not only men that are sexual predators. You have some women sexual predators that are out here. And if you see children out here, you know, harming other children, we need to start asking a bunch of questions because where did they learn that? And we have to find better ways of restorative justice, different ways of dealing with this particular issue and this subject matter. But the conversation has to stop. So anyway, y'all, we're out of here. Enjoy your Sunday. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. I may do a show next week. I'm hoping to do so, but I may not. So if I don't, I'll be back the next Sunday after that, y'all. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.